I'm Kate Parker. This is Warming Signs, a podcast with the sound minds of science. Expecting mothers do everything in their power to make sure their babies are born healthy. But unfortunately, there are factors even the most devoted mothers-to-be can't control. Emerging research points to climate change as one of those factors. Each year, about 130 million babies make their entrance into the world, but unfortunately, more than 10% of them get here too soon. Preterm babies can face lifelong challenges, and a warming world may mean more babies disadvantaged from day one. This is something Dr. Ashley Ward knows all too well. Dr. Ward has researched the link between heat and preterm births, especially in the Carolinas, where she's currently a senior policy associate at Duke University's Nicholas Institute for Environmental Policy Solutions. I recently spoke to her about how climate change is shaping children's futures before they're even born. Ashley, thank you so much for coming on Warming Signs. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. It's such an interesting topic today. It's not something I think most people think about uh, unless you are pregnant, and that is preterm birth. And there seems to be this connection with climate change. What is this all about? Well, that's interesting that you bring up that this isn't something that people think about a lot because it's actually something I didn't think about a lot either until, uh, even though I've had two children, uh, until um, we were conducting a series of community engagements around heat illness in North Carolina, and we focused those in the eastern part of the state, which has the higher uh, heat illness rates. And one of the questions we asked folks in those meetings was, you know, who do you feel is at risk for heat-related illness? Hmm. And over and over, people kept saying, pregnant women, pregnant women. And, you know, we were we had all the normal players, you know, outdoor workers, student athletes, construction workers, uh, old elderly aging populations and, you know, those kinds of things you, we expected to hear. But after so many people kept saying pregnant women, I thought, you know, with so many folks bringing up the issue of pregnant women as vulnerable to heat illness, I should probably look into this a little bit. Yeah, so that's prompt, I would assume so. Study. So what was the study? So we looked at uh, preterm births in North Carolina from 2011 to 2015, uh, focusing only on single births, so no multiple births, and uh, women uh, who gave, who uh, had preterm birth um, during heat season of those years. And we compared that with a variety of variables, ruling out the regular suspects for preterm birth and a variety of temperature variables as well. And what were your findings? Uh, well, there was a relationship with preterm birth with most of the temperature variables, but the strongest, and this is what I think is one of the most interesting findings, the strongest link was between minimum temperature and preterm birth. Oh, and really? So high, yeah, so high overnight temperatures. Which is um, what we are seeing more and more of in a warming climate. Right. And so I think that's a really important key finding. And the result was significant. Um, we divided the women by climate region in North Carolina. We have three separate regions. The eastern part of the state is much warmer, the coastal plain. In that, in that area, when temperatures overnight are 75 to 76 degrees and warmer, we're seeing a 4% increase in odds of preterm birth. Really? If you if it's warmer, not we're not talking 100 degrees, but at night, whenever it's above 75 degrees, there's a 4% increase in preterm birth. 
Yes. And I think what's wow. also significant about that is that typically heat warnings are issued at the 95th percentile and 98th percentile. But what we were seeing is the health impacts for women actually occurred at the 85th and 90th percentile. So much lower than we would normally issue warnings. So that tells me that we have a vulnerable population that is not maybe not aware of the risk because they're, they don't fall They're They're actually exhibiting poor health outcomes before we would normally issue a warning. How does this heat translate into earlier births? I mean, how does that go from it's hot outside to uh, a baby being delivered early? That's a really good question. And it's one that, uh, you know, uh, it's been a bit unsettled in the medical literature. Um, there's some literature that show that because a woman's internal body temperature is already elevated, hmm. that it takes very little to tip them over, so to speak, into uh, a situation in which the temperature in the uterus is, is unhealthy. That's one explanation that's in the literature. The other has to do with dehydration. Um, but it seems inconclusive. I'm not a medical doctor. So, um, but it, it seems inconclusive as to the why, but I think maybe we need to look well, into that. I, I have a number of friends. I don't have any children, but I have a number of friends with children and they will readily tell you <laughs> or tell me that they don't like being with child in the summer in the South. It's oh, very no, uncomfortable I, I, from what I understand. My child was born in July. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Now, yes, were they preterm? She actually was. That's interesting. Uh, so it's not just, you know, oh, babies are coming earlier. There are health risks involved with that, from what I understand, for the child. What kind of health risks do we see with a child that is born preterm? There's a variety of uh, health risks from developmental delays uh, to other uh, high-risk um, immediate complications from birth, uh, lung development, and those kinds of um, short-term issues, but then also translate into longer-term developmental delays with preterm births. So it's a serious issue. Um, and I think, uh, you know, particularly in the region that we're talking about, where there are high rates of preterm birth, we also see high rates of poverty. And mm. so I believe one of the issues uh, compounding both heat exposure, but also perhaps a pro the, the long-term implications for health is uh, particularly uh, pregnant women in those situations. Now, in our study, we actually looked at race, uh, poverty, age, and what is also very interesting is we didn't see a difference based on any of those factors and higher risk due to heat. So that tells, and, and this was a really puzzling finding, in my opinion, uh, and we, I would like to uh, get into this a little more in future work, but initially what that says is it's sort of a universal impact, right? So it doesn't hmm. really matter. I tend to push back my, my opinion about that is I, I would like to do a little bit more uh, digging into that because I'm not sure that that would stand. Is this something that we're seeing you know, across the country or globally, or, you know, has this been studied on a larger scale than just North Carolina? Oh, that's a great question. So other countries, Australia, Canada, the UK, 
uh, Germany, they've done a great job at studying heat-related illness and particularly its impact on different groups of vulnerable populations. In the U.S., our work has been sparse on this topic, particularly with regard to preterm birth. And to my knowledge, there is not, and we looked and looked, there's not a single study that looks at preterm birth and heat exposure in the southeastern part of the United States. Seriously? That seems almost shocking. It is shocking because we have the worst maternal health outcomes in the country. The top seven are all in the south, and every one of our states are higher than the national average for preterm birth. And so, uh, you know, we have this area, this region of the country where we have some of the most concerning maternal health outcomes and some of the highest heat exposure. And this work just hasn't been done. Um, the work that has taken place in the U.S. with regard to preterm birth and heat exposure has concentrated on single heat wave events, like what we saw in oh. Chicago, for example. Yeah. And so uh, they would look at, okay, this heat wave happened, and uh, let's see how that affected pregnant women. Our study looks at five years of heat season. So it's you know what I would consider more of the standard heat exposure not looking at an extreme event. The extreme events, the extreme heat events are increasing. Um, And we kind of see, you know, these extremes, um, extreme rainfall events, extreme heat and and extreme drought. That extreme heat, you're saying, may have a role, but perhaps it's these more consistent patterns of heat and and elevated heat that are the problem? So it's a little bit of both. Uh, to give you kind of a, a longer view of it, we looked at 75 years of heat, of temperature data uh, for North Carolina, and we looked at the number of times in which um, different regions hit the threshold where we saw impacts for pregnant women. Hmm. To give you an idea, in the eastern part of the state, uh, 75 years ago, we would heat we would hit that threshold about five times a year. In the last several years, we're hitting that threshold in excess of 25 times a year. Yeah, wow. That's a huge increase. That is a huge increase. And we saw that type of increase consistently over each region in the state. And so on the one hand, yes, it's sort of everyday exposure to heat, right? Because it is happening so frequently. But it's yeah. also pretty extreme. So that 75 degree threshold for the overnight temperatures, that doesn't seem that warm. And we definitely are seeing more of those, you know, across the country. Does this risk translate to the mothers as well or just the babies who would be born preterm? I haven't done that work yet to see uh, if, you know, what other types. But I will point to previous work. Uh, Dr. Maggie Sugg, Margaret Sugg, from who is now at Appalachian State, uh, she uh, also worked, um, was ahead of me at the at, with CESA and at the Climate Center. And she published a study where she looked at general heat exposure in North Carolina and heat illness rates. And I really feel like this is a foundational study because one of her findings was that, you know, we see and hear a lot of people concentrate on um urban, you know, the urban heat island and the urban populations as being the most vulnerable to heat. And that is right, true. The homeless and the, well, the aging populations. Yeah, we hear a lot of I, I talk about a lot of that as a meteorologist. But in North Carolina, uh, 
the heat onus rates in rural areas of North Carolina were eight to 10 times that of the urban areas. Wow. Why is that? Well, I think it is a combination. So in North Carolina, and my guess would be in the Southeast generally, we have um, a couple of differences um, that, you know, our, a lot of manufacturing is in rural areas. Mm. Uh, we have large populations still that live in rural areas. Uh, many of them uh, work outdoors, whether it's agricultural work or manufacturing work. Uh, mm. So they're exposed. Um, and so um, I think we see a culmination of vulnerability and exposure, at least in that North Carolina study. And I suspect if we were to expand that to other states in the southeast, we would see some similar patterns. Um, and, uh, you know, really what we're talking about here is in urban areas, at least in North Carolina, it appears people work more in air conditioning during the day, for example. And so they aren't exposed ah. in the same way. Yeah, Whereas I'm sitting I in think an air conditioned building right now. Right. And so I think uh, that's a that's a big factor. Um, we also have high rates of poverty in rural areas in the southeast. And where I think if you look in urban areas across much of the country, that's where poverty is concentrated. Uh, in North Carolina, we have large populations that are poor living in rural areas and they have high rates of mobile home ownership. Um, so uh, energy poverty and energy efficient housing is mm -hmm. an issue in these rural areas. So you combine all of this together and you have uh, an area that's highly vulnerable and also highly exposed. Let's pause here because heat isn't the only thing impacting children's health. Air pollution is blamed for as many as 200,000 premature deaths in America every year. And after years of improvement on the air quality front, the trend is reversing. There was an uptick in the number of unhealthy air days last year and in 2017. A number of factors can affect air quality, but cars and energy are the two biggest culprits. Emissions from road transportation account for 53,000 early deaths each year. Power generation was a close second, accounting for 52,000 deaths each year. Worldwide, Air pollution is deadlier than AIDS, malaria, and tuberculosis combined. It kills one out of every nine people on Earth. Some studies have linked air pollution to a higher risk of diabetes, autism, and lower IQ. So the next time you hear about how awesome our air is, ask yourself if you'd bet your life on it. Now let's get back to Dr. Ward and what concerns her most in a warming world. Are you concerned about climate change and the health of pregnant mothers? I am, absolutely. I think that um, particularly uh, women who, um, you know, perhaps live in remote areas where they don't have access to information or prenatal care in rural areas, this is particularly a problem. I myself grew up in a rural area. I feel quite passionately about empowering those communities. I think that um, these women are already, uh, particularly minority women, for example, already at high risk. Uh, in North Carolina, minority women have much higher rates of preterm birth. And mm -hmm. so I wonder how much these issues will exacerbate that risk. Um, I'm concerned about um, physicians and how they're able to get out messaging to uh, the population you know, how do we address this? If we send out warnings 
30 times a summer are people going to listen to them yeah you can't take 30 days off right and stay in air conditioning exactly and sometimes you can't afford to run your air conditioning for 30 extra days and so um you know i think we uh developing public health strategies to educate populations is one good way to address this um Getting people talking about it and raising awareness about risk is important. And for the most part, I feel like people, when they do understand their risk, they take action to avoid outcomes. Is there anything happening that gives you hope in this area? Actually, yes. Uh, there are, you know, there are a lot of programs that are starting to do the same. The, the RESA program, which stands for Regional Integrated Sciences and Assessment from NOAA, uh, this program Uh, The whole core structure of the program uh, is to connect researchers and scientists with communities. It's a great Mm -hmm. program to do exactly what I was just talking about. And uh, because of that, we're seeing communities able to ask questions and engage with scientists and really, um, I think, bridging bridging the science gap, the knowledge gap, the data gap, and also community members really helping scientists understand the context around their research. And so it's a win-win situation. And we see a lot of successes around this. Um, we have tools, and now we have technology, tools that are developed that help people with planning and preparedness. I feel like the folks that are on the ground and that we've worked with in public health and planning and preparedness in North Carolina are fantastic folks, and they are really committed to figuring out how to solve these issues. So that gives me hope because it, there is not a lot of shoulder, shoulder shrugging or there isn't, a, there really isn't, you know, this is too big of an issue to handle. They really do look at it as this is our community and we need to figure out how to do this. And I think that's where we see the, 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 the ball move forward is community by community. That's awesome. I love that. And it's a great perspective. You got to, Start small and talk to people. Right. And, you know, there are other, I think the, the, um, the movement toward a community engagement um, is getting stronger and stronger. And I think more people are seeing the benefit of it. And, you know, I think the more we do it, the more we learn, the better we get at it. You know, everyone benefits. Thank you so much, Ashley, for joining us. This has been enlightening and such an interesting conversation. Thank you. All right, we'll talk soon. Our own Bob Henson did an extensive write-up on the link between heat and preterm births as a part of our Collateral series. It's fascinating, eye-opening, a little heartbreaking, and most of all, an important read. Check it out at features.weather.com collateral. Thank you so much for once again joining us on Warming Signs. During the summer, we'll be here every other Tuesday. Make sure you subscribe and rate so we can end up right there, ready for you to listen to on that early morning Tuesday commute. Or maybe you're doing a little house cleaning over the weekend and you need something to take your mind off of scrubbing the floors. This is the perfect chance for that. Thank you to the team that makes this podcast happen and gets it out of my brain and into yours. Until next time. (laughs) 